Hey everyone, I hope you're slowly recovering from the holidays and also slowly recovering from our War on Christmas special. This week we don't have a new American Hysteria episode, so instead I thought I'd do something different. I want to present to you an episode of a show I used to work on called Euphemet, made by my dear friend, my creative partner, and one of my earliest inspirations in podcasting, Jim Perry. As a flexible skeptic, I still enjoy my fair share of the paranormal, and Jim Perry seeks to take a look at the paranormal, but less about whether it's real or fake, whether we made it up or whether it's psychological. What he wants to do is just explore the human element. How does the paranormal make us feel, and why is it important to our lives? I find Euphemet to be a refreshingly heartfelt paranormal podcast, one that I've honestly never heard anything like. A couple years ago, we both flew out to Sedona, Arizona, into the land of crystals, into the land of auras, into the land of alien vortexes. I assistant produced this episode with Jim called The Vortex Jumper, a series of interviews with Peter Gersten, better known as the UFO lawyer. Peter wanted to take us on a little bit of a spiritual journey, and we thought you might like to come along too. If you like the sound of Euphemet or you get to the end of the episode and you love it even more, remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's head up to the mystical Top of Bell Rock with Peter Gersten, Jim Perry, and myself. We really hope you enjoy this episode of Euphemet. So when the, the cop came, deputy sheriff, he said, um, people think you're going to jump. You're going to do something like that? I said, no, I'm not going to do anything extraordinary. Something extraordinary happens. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, if a portal opens, you know. Um, portal, you know, window, if I look, see, and I see another reality, another world, I'm going to try to go in there. So he says, okay, other than that, you're going to come down? I said, yeah. He says, no problem. Back in December 21st of 2012, people thought I was going to jump off the top of Bell Rock. Um, they were following, I had a countdown journal from January of 2011 to December of 2012, and people would follow that. And I talked about a leap of faith, so they interpreted that leap of faith, me jumping off the top of Bell Rock into a portal. But in order for a portal to open, I would need to have brought up 1,111 people to be numerically synchronistic with the time of the winter solstice back in 2012. And I couldn't do that in time. But I knew extraordinary, or at least felt it, because I didn't meet my burden, so to speak. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, we play the game, inside the game, with Peter Gersten, in search of a vortex and a world that is not all that it may seem. It's 6.30 a.m. I'm in Sedona, with a producer for the show, Chelsea Weber-Smith. We're meeting the Vortex Jumper, Peter Gersten, at Bell Rock. It's an imposing landscape. You can't help but get lost in the awe of the towering red rocks that surround you. It's magical and really hot already. Hey, Peter. Peter! Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, sir. How are you doing? So good. Oh, 
How are you doing? <laughs> good to see you, good my friend. You. Yeah, so good to meet you. I'm not a climber. I'm uh, barely a hiker at this time in my life. So the idea of scrambling and lifting myself up a vertical red rock is more than a mental challenge. It's perhaps a health and safety concern. What's in here? Just water? Just um, oh, some water and camera and stuff. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. It's only 600 feet from the bottom to the top. It's more of a mental challenge than physical. We push fear aside. Getting to the top wins us an interview with Gersten. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, but you have to come to the top. Wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> so I moved permanently to Sedona in 2000 and lived in this one apartment for 11 years. And then I got this assignment, so to speak, this game, whatever it was, whatever it is, to take a certain number of people to the top of Bell Rock by a certain date. The first challenge was to take 1,111 to the top of Bell Rock by December 21st of 2012. Once again, to be numerically synchronistic with the winter solstice, because the winter solstice of 20. 12 was exactly 11.11 universal time, but it wasn't for another a year and nine months that I started couchsurfing, and couchsurfing was like a godsend. That was the way I was going to be able to bring people up. In the beginning, I would go on couchsurfing website, and if anybody was coming to Sedona or Flagstaff or anywhere near here, I would invite them to stay in Sedona, and um, as long as they agreed to come to the top of Bell Rock. I was the only attorney that sued the government for UFO information under the Freedom of Information Act, so people would follow me, be on radio shows, TV shows, documentaries. Back in 77, when I first did the lawsuit CIA, uh, everybody thought that I'd be ridiculed and you know made fun of, but no, because I, I was pretty well respected in court trying the murder cases. I was pretty successful. So now I'm getting involved in this. Um, so they, like, stepped a little closer. And I remember I was picking a jury in a murder case. And all of a sudden, the judge said, excuse me, Mr. Gerson, can you approach the bench? I said, okay. And went up, you know. And I said, did I say something inappropriate, judge? I didn't hear an objection from the prosecutor. He says, no, no. I just need to tell you what I saw the other night. I said, Judge, can we wait for the break? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, court officers would come up. I saw you on television. You know, I have a friend who I saw. Yeah, I would be the repository for all their information because they had nobody else to talk to that would at least listen to them and at least give them some, okay, yeah, they exist, these things. You didn't, you know, you weren't hallucinating, you know, and things like that. So... I was there holding space, for, so to speak, for these people who saw these objects. People would follow me. I was their hero until I moved to Sedona and started talking about 11-11 and portals and winter solstices and things like that. And then they took the step back. Well, well, wait a second. You know, he moves to Sedona and he goes a little off the edge. But they loved the story. You know, it was a great story. So they kept on following it. I was still on the same radio shows, documentaries. Um, and so forth and so on. So, you know, everybody would still follow me. Maybe they would peek out of the closet so they wouldn't get too contaminated by what I was saying, <laughs> you know, but yeah. When I was growing up, I came in in 1942, UFO 
UFOs made the headlines in 1947. By the 50s, the books were out. And they were talking about a lot of wild things, these books, contacts and, and these strange craft. And I would read every single book and magazine that came out about it. It was amazing. And when I went to sleep, I would imagine I lived in New York City and this area. In the middle of the area was a big circle of grass and fountains. And I would imagine a UFO landing there and me walking on. There were two fascinations when I was a child, UFOs, and then later on a little bit, December 21st of 2012. This thing about 2012, December 21st, resonated, it clicked with me. The end of the Mayan calendar, the end of the world, why would the Mayans think that? And I'm fascinated by this. I would read the books, follow it. So my attention was always on this, December 21st, 2012. So then I get a, an email or a letter. Peter, you're not going to believe this, okay? I s- Okay, what is it? The time of the winter solstice of 2012 is it exactly 1111 universal time. Okay? And 1998 is when I came in contact with the 1111 phenomena. That really resonates with me. I said, whoa, okay. So I guess these other things would capture my attention until this point that I needed to now see the connection with the 1111. Nothing happens before the perfect time, a minute early, a minute late. Perfect. Everything is so choreographed and controlled by, you know, whatever, cosmic computer. So that made sense. Okay, there's some connection to it, you know. And then I started connecting the dots with the symbolism and things like that, and that's how I came up with my story, basically. The only thing I pay tribute to or honor in this reality is the symbolism of 1111, you know, because... That's, I was part of that phenomena. I was never part of the UFO phenomena, seeing UFOs or anything, just listening to people's stories or seeing lights in the sky. But I was part of that 11-11 back in 98. I saw it all the time. You know, came my number. Some would claim that noticing 11-11 on a more than regular basis is one of the most common paranormal experiences today. Many recognize 11-11 as a clarion call of sorts, the universe urging us to pay attention to the synchronicities around us to help us make better decisions. In any case, saying 1111 is an influence on Peter's life would be a huge understatement. 1111 for Peter, for this game, for his story, was a game changer. So in my story, the Vortex Jumper, once he reaches 70, gets information. Coincidentally, I turned 70 in March of 2012. So I believed that I was going to get certain information, what would occur nine months from then in December, you know, because, like, this is a game. So I got to, like, use the analogy of what you see out there, right? So what you see out there is that if you reach a certain level successfully, you get more whatever it is, weapons, charms, spells, information, you know, prizes, So I figured, okay, that's what I would have programmed for myself, right? I would have programmed myself, if I make it to 2012 and I'm in the right place, which I definitely was in that apartment, then I'm going to get this information. And I would put this. I was on Facebook and I had the countdown journal and I would put this out there. So all all my followers from, you know, from UFO days and from Sedona, like we're watching this. Okay, he's going to get some information. So sometime, I guess the end of February, beginning of March, my daughter calls me and she says, Dad, I want to go swim with the dolphins on your birthday. I said, fine. So I put that on Facebook and she says, 
And everybody on, oh, you're going to get the information from the dolphins. You know what I mean? They're going to really, you know, the night before, you're going to have a dream, and they're going to come to you in a dream. Or once you go swimming with them, you touch them, you're going to instant download, you know, flash visions. We went down to the Atlantis Hotel in the Bahamas, and I'm swimming with the um we're doing there's a dolphin k it's like a lake around and there's groups of like 10 people a trainer a dolphin and a photographer and most of them there were kids actually there so i was in this group of 10 and we do all kinds of things with dolphins we go out and we hold them and we kiss them so it's my turn to go up you know and the trainer says come on up dolphin comes out of the water backflip as i go over to hold its front flip it goes for my hand bites down on my hand I fall back, right? Look down at my hand, it's all bloody, right? My daughter says, what happened? Um, and I said, a dolphin bit me. My daughter starts laughing, dolphins don't bite. I said, this one bit me. And he says, the trainee says, oh, that's a sign of affection. So um, no problem swimming around, get up, walking to the lock of my daughter, and I all of a sudden was surrounded by the staff. Take us into the tent, there's a manager there. Long story short, she takes me to the hospital. Now, if I'm gonna program a dolphin bite for myself, I'm gonna make sure it didn't hurt. And in no time did the bite hurt. So, um, puts ointment on it, bandages it up, sends me back to the hotel. So I'm walking out of the hospital, I'm saying to myself, hmm, okay. I didn't have a vision when I touched the dolphin, you know what I mean? I didn't get any information, but there was definitely some interaction that I would have never even thought, you know, would have been a dolphin bite, you know what I mean? That's gonna give me the information. So the next morning I took off the bandage, right? And this is what I saw. Oh. You know what that is? Yeah. 11-11. Oh, man. 11-11. So, I got a download of information with it saying, it's the mark of the dolphin. It's what you need to get through the portal. It's almost like, yeah, this animal just gave you this stamp, this barcode that's going to get you through this, okay? Now, to show you as the perfect example that whatever I programmed is always better, at least on the same level as what I can think of, I had an intuitive feeling that I needed something like that years before, that I needed something. I should have realized that if I needed something, I would have programmed it, and this is what I needed. The 1111. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American. 
American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Chelsea's with Peter at the top. I'm some 50 feet below, taking in the sheer majesty of this place, feeling dizzy from it all, but thankfully, at least one of us made it to the top. When you came up here and you were talking about a vortex uh, in 2012, was there a location to that? Is there somewhere I can look, or was it more of just uh, an experience? What does that mean to you, vortex? The vortex? The information that Sedona has for vortexes Mm -hmm. was channeled to several people at different times. I think the first one was in the 60s, the second one was in the 70s, Lane Bryan, and she wrote a book about it. Her conclusion was that there were four vortexes, um, masculine and feminine, Bell Rocks the masculine energy, Cathedral Rocks the feminine energy, and I guess Airport Mesa and Boynton Canyon are a combination of both. But mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> So I call it the Sedona mythology. It's great for tourism. It's great for the people that come here. Some, it's all subjective. Some people feel and, and get emotional at mm-hmm. either on Bell or Cathedral or some other places. And I like taking people out of their comfort zones because once you come out of your comfort zone, you get an instant download of self-confidence free. Um, so vortex or not, it's like so beautiful. Um, I had a, a friend that wrote an article about why there's why the energy is different here and he said basically it's the combination of the green the red and the blue frequencies coming together here and raising the vibration Um, it's definitely a magical place Um, it's definitely a very special unique place when I had my eyes closed up there for a long time and I opened them, it was just everything was blue. Really? Yeah. Huh? Wow. I don't know what that means. I don't know. If I don't know. Right. I mean, it's I like pretty it. subjective. It's you know, subjective, people, of course. Yeah, people come up. Some people sit on that second place and actually feel energy. Other people, I don't feel energy from the rocks, even though um, if anything is sore or hurts or pains. Once I hit the west side, they go away. Strange. And several of the people that I've brought to the top have told me they had um, year-long pains or chronic pain, and once they came to the top and went down, they didn't have it. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. Everybody takes something different away from coming to the top. definitely a euphoric experience. It's 11.11 p.m. in Sedona. A host of emergency personnel, law enforcement, and onlookers gaze towards the top of Bell Rock. 
A helicopter, circling above the red monolith, observes Peter. He's there, at the top, waiting for a sign. For something fantastic to take place, to allow him his leap of faith. It's the winter solstice. It's the end of the Mayan calendar. It's December 21st, 2012. And the vortex never appeared. When I came down from Bell Rock on December 22nd, I had no story anymore. Nothing to look forward to. And I would go down to Red Rock Crossing. I said, you're going to have to give me an idea of what, what's going on, because I don't know what's going on anymore. And it wasn't a voice, so to speak. It was almost like the water in the creek as it was running down was making a sound. And the message was, go with the flow. That's all I had to do, go with the flow. Don't think. Take one day at a time. You know, look at it like, okay, you finished that first part. But I didn't realize at that time that uh, there was more to it. When I thought it was over, it wasn't over. It wasn't about 11-11. It wasn't about that day. That was just one, one level. It was always 22-22 and 2018. 2018's an 11 year to begin with. So, yeah, it all made sense. It, uh, it's going to be the last episode of the Top of Bell Rock Club. That's for sure. There is no 33-33, you know, and only goes up 24-hour clock. There's no winter solstices. I even looked at the winter and summer solstices. I tried to find a summer solstice that was better for my story. What are you, you going to feel like if nothing happens on that night? Depends. I would, I would assume that if nothing's going to happen, I'm going to get an inkling of it beforehand. In other words... If I get a sign, then, okay, then, you know, then we'll see what that sign is. That makes it a little bit more, you know, like, okay, I'll get up there unless it's a blizzard, you know what I mean? But um, if I don't get a sign, then I'll just wait and see. But it's going to be a whole group of people, you know. It depends, cloudy night, clear night. The full moon is the next day, so it should be sort of bright there. Kind of interesting, have a party, signaling. You know, we'll do all kinds of strange things, meditation, we'll chant. Well, you know, it should be fun. I want to be up there in 11-11. And um, I'm going to stay up there until at least one minute after midnight on the 22nd, unless something happens sooner. Uh, and I'm going to fast the whole time, and I'm going to have to stay up. The whole time? Yeah. Yeah. During my vision quest, I was supposed to stay up the last night of a four-day fast. I didn't. I fell asleep. So I don't know what I missed out or if I missed out of anything. But for some reason, the information I get is that's what I have to do. And it's information that I can understand and relate to. It's almost like a second chance to stay up all night. In other words, I'm going to fast for all day and stay up all night. And maybe that last night, you know, I'm going to see something. We're with Chelsea and Peter back on Bell Rock. But in 2012, when we came up, 
I figured in my story, if there's going to be something, a portal opening, something, it would be over here. Mm -hmm. Because this gap over here, we refer to the, as the dreaded gap, because people have more problems crossing this, I don't know, foot-long gap than they do coming up to the top of Bell Rock or going to any of the other places. It's the ultimate mind fuck, because it just, you know, they see an opening, and right away they assume it goes all the way to the bottom, and it doesn't. It only goes down five feet. And I've had people that refused to cross, just refused. Even under threat that I wasn't going to take them down, they said, fine, I'll stay up here all night. I'm not coming across that. And you can't even fall down in there. It's all in your mind. That's what Bell Rock is. It plays with your mind. It'll find whatever fear you have, fear of heights, fear of falling, self-confidence. Whatever that fear is, it will bring it out and magnify it and challenge you to get past it. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. We need your help. Please take a minute or two to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. As you probably know, ratings and reviews are a big deal for new shows, so your contribution will be a huge help. Also, join the Society of Euphemet group on Facebook to keep connected so we can keep searching together. And make sure to follow us at Euphemet on social media. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up. <laughs>